welcome to the next and newest episode of the Gun Dog Notebook. This is your host, Darrell Smith, coming out of Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm looking forward to talking to you guys about bird dogs, friends, and the experiences and histories made in the field, sharing the love and passion for the things bird hunting and gun dogs. I'd like to thank my previous, current, and future guests, including Mackamo Kennels and Dog Beds, Field Dog Imagery, and a host of others for providing the audio and social media content partnerships used to make this podcast what it is. Stay tuned, you guys. This is the Gun Dog Notebook. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Gun Dog Notebook. Let me surprise you guys with one one awesome uh, episode that y'all are about to hear. Uh, on, we have Robin Watson from Tibia Gun Dogs here. And if, if you haven't listened to the episode before, this is definitely, or if you haven't listened to any of my episodes before, this is one that hopefully will sell you. Um, Mr. Watson is just a top of the line uh, panel A judge out in Britain and in the United States. And um, Robin, since we got you got you on, you are the only authentic British uh, trainer here, correct? Well, there's a guy called Martin Dealey. He he's been here a long time, but um, you know I'm a panel judge on the retrievers. And uh, he's a good guy, Martin Dealey, so um, he's a good author and everything like that. So uh, I would say, I, I believe I'm the only one who got a green card for, train, for training gun dogs. What? So <laughs> let's talk about that a little bit. And I want to segue into, you know, a bit of your history. So first of all, yeah. how, how do you get a green card for, um, you know, training gun dogs here? Because there's a lot of people that just don't understand the import process and all of that. So talk well, a little bit about that. Well, for, first of all, you, you, um, the way we went about it, we got a visa, and you got to go through all the his, history that you've been abroad and judged and and, and uh, put some training seminars on, and you know we did that through Europe and different places, you know, and, and, and coach people with their dogs, not just class, not classroom stuff. They bring their dogs, you teach them how how I would do it. You know, some some change, some don't, and you know, I'd like to think every time I see someone train a dog, I learn something. Yep. No matter whether they're an amateur or a professional, you know, you you pick things up as you go along, and some suit you and some don't. You know, and it's and that's part of it. And you know, where we are in the UK, where we do a lot more field trials on live game versus Europe, which they just take you know, what we call dummies and you call them bumpers. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of the Europeans just do that. Um, well, you know, so then you get things like hard mouth come into play on a bird, which you don't on a dummy. Uh, they, you know, so you may be having a, you know, a dog which is fine on retrieving bumpers, but all of a sudden you get one that's hard mouth on birds, you know? Right. And that's, Generally, you can't put that right. Right. You know, um, you you can try, but you generally can't. So there, there's um, no there's no real way to get a dog, you know, not hard mouth is what you're saying. Once it starts doing it, it may do it a couple of times. You know, you may get that. Yeah. And that's a that's a big fault for a 
for a trial in dog in the UK, you know, you, you get thrown out immediately. Yeah. It's a hard mouth. And I mean, I'm, when I mean hard mouth, by breaking the ribs, you know, stuff like that. Anyway, so go, I'm going off for it a bit. To get your green card, to get your green card what you do, you, you go and you put all your information in. They put it into the the uh, U.S. Department or of Immigration. They check it out. Um, we went a lot through it like that, so I got granted an O-1 visa. And then, um, for one of another reason, I want I needed a green I wanted a green card. And we spoke to a guy through a friend of ours, mutual friend, and actually got myself and my wife a green card. Nice. Within about six weeks. In six weeks. Nice. Which is one of the fastest green cards on record, I've been told. <laughs> I believe it, because um, <laughs> a lot of people yeah, here well, have yeah. that problem. I'm sure you pay attention to politics enough. <laughs> yeah, great. It, it, it seemed quick, you know. And um, But like I said, we're, we're proud to have it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also proud of, we're also very proud to be British. Right. Oh, look, I'm I'm totally first of all, I, I just wanted to thank you for even reaching out um and and uh, you know, allowing me the opportunity to to have you on the podcast. Um and I'm just infatuated with British culture, man. I'm not British. I maybe in another life I was because Everything from the dogs to the shooting um, to the moors, all of that stuff, I follow it on social media and I watch it on YouTube. And, I, man, I'm just in love with it, you know. So I, I feel you when you say you're proud to be British. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. And we, and, and we miss it. Yeah. You know, we miss it over there. I do intend to go back in trial. Uh, I'm, going, I'm going back to, to judge this winter. Uh, we, go, we go back at least once a year. And, you know, hopefully if I've got a couple of good enough dogs, I want to, and I sort of put that in, in brackets, my dogs are good enough, I want to go back to trial, but there's no point going back if they're not good enough, you know? Oh, I understand. Uh, and, and, I'm, and, and I'm very critical of my own dogs. Yeah. So, uh, well, especially, especially when there's about a 6,000 price tag for the dog to go on. Back, you know? Shoot. I mean, finished around doing everything, getting his ticket and getting my ticket. You know, you're not talking five or six thousand short bucks, short of six thousand dollars. Oh, oh my gosh! I, I I feel like I would make my dog sign a contract <laughs> to go. Oh yeah, that's what I'm saying. So it better be good if I'm going back. You know. Oh yes, I mean, in the fact that you you have that discernment, that that already lets me know that you are, you know, everything everybody says you are. I mean, you are the premier trainer. Um, you know, in Britain, man, like you've made British history. Well, no, I don't. I, yeah, I, yeah, I know what you're saying. There's a lot better than me. There's a lot better than me, believe you me. Um, I'm, you know, I've been coming across here for a long time. I came across here from where he started off. I helped him get Drake. Um, me and my friend, Morty Turner Cook, we helped him get Drake. We were there at the beginning. Yeah. Of that. Um, and then I met Robert. My, my friend, this Morty Turner Cook, he was a good friend of Robert Milner's. Okay. And that's how I got involved with Wild Rose because Robert used to own that. Oh, man. And then, you know, and then I started coming across and seeing Robert. Right. And before that, I was training 
think during that period as well, just after that, I was training for a very, very high-end businessman, American businessman in the UK for seven years, which I which I actually made a field trial champion up for an American owner in the UK. Now, which which dog was that? Well, they they actually owned both of them at one point, which I had them as puppies. So I was trialing them for them, and there's one called Whitmiller Clips of Tibia. Okay. And that Brackenbird Minnow you saw, again, I had them as puppies, but I was working for them at the time when I first got his, his first few couple of wins under his belt. And um, so... We had we had two two champions and several other winners really with them. Man, that's 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 crazy. I mean, that's that's inspiring, man. And just to know that you've been in, you know, you've been in the business that long to be able to, you know, create champions like that. So, tell me a bit about your background, about your mother and your father, um, and just the start of Tibia Gun Dogs. And you know, I I, I, I remember you told me you picked up a bad habit. <laughs> well. The thing is, what it was, my father, he started the, he started training dogs around, you know, which around probably the late fifties, early sixties. Mm-hmm. So he trained his first dog, and he was going to a guy called Dick Mail, who was one of the top trainers in the country at the time. But he just happened to live in the next village. Yeah, and my father was. Uh, he was a, a meat inspector, which really just just make sure that uh, the meat's fit for human consumption. Right. He's, a, he's really a, a dead a dead animal vet, really, <laughs> um, and make make sure you know it's fit for the butcher shop and fit for human consumption. Anyway, so at that time, I would say there was probably only three or four actual professional trainers at that time, which were working for like the Lords or or a lady or royalty or whatever. So there was only two or three professional trainers at that time and he this guy was one of them. So my father was going for lessons of you know, I say lessons which don't help him with dogs. Right. And long story short, he then started up a kennel name. He was learning about the tibia, the bone, and he spelt his slightly differently. So he must have been doing that at the time, and he thought, oh, I'll call it tibia gun nose, which he did. So that's that's where we were, really, with it. And my, my mother, you know, was bringing up us kids and stuff like that. And she she went most places with him when he was trialing once we were a bit older. And unfortunately, he died at the age of 44. Man, I'm sorry. Uh, and he, But he made... Uh, two champions. He had several other champions made up by other people that bought dogs from him. And he won with 14 other dogs. So that's happened from about the age of eight years old. I used to be a pain in the ass for him and go off trialing with him. Right. So I, I'd go, if I was off school, I'd be off there watching and, you know, and seeing what was going on. And like that, I saw some very, you know, most unfortunately, most of them aren't with us now. Some very, very good dog trainers, and and you, you just pick up things. And even to this day, you think, oh, what, what can I do about this dog? This problem? And you think, hang on, this is what they used to do, and you and you would do that. You know, you just go back a bit, but it comes back in your memory, you know, right? Of, of how to put things right, or, or or keep them going in the right fashion. But back then, and still today. The prime, the prime thing for 
for a gun dog, whether it's trialing or not, is picking wounded game. We can all pick the dead ones ourselves. Right. So game, game finding is the main thing for a gun dog, whether it's for field trialing or whether you're just going out on a farmer's shoot or whether you're going out with your friend. I mean, we pick the dead ones up ourselves. It's those wounded ones. You know, if we want to keep our sport as it is, mm-hmm. we've got to show respect to the game and the animal and pick this wounded stuff up and recover it. And, and I believe, you know, there's a lot of people that go out shooting without a gun dog, but there's generally somebody there with a dog. But I think if people go out shooting without a dog, or just what a whole group of you go out shooting without a dog, it's not doing, doing us any good, not the sport. Not at all. Not for conservation. It's not. It's no. It's not doing anybody any good. It's not doing the bird any good that's wounded, and it's certainly not doing our reputation. Because believe you me, I come from a country which, you know, there's as many people, a lot more people, then want to stop this shooting and carry on with it. Yep. So you've got to behave and you've got to do it right, and all the people I know do that. But what right. I'm saying is, you know, you go out shooting without a dog and, and you know, and the happy, clappy crowd find a wounded pheasant or whatever, it's not doing us any good. Right. And, I mean, that's an important point to have, man. And that's why I tell people, um, you know, a lot about my dog. Um, you know, it's important that I, not only do you enjoy going out with your dog and it be a pleasurable experience because nobody wants to have a, a foolish dog, but... Again, there's a purpose and there's a reason why the game finding ability um, is such a crucial you know, thing to have. We have so many, you know, trialers and handlers that focus so much on handling the dog. But again, like you said, I can go out and pick my own dead birds up. I need that dog to be able to, you know, effectively um, and efficiently find and, re- and retrieve wounded game. Definitely. And, and, in, and in all in all types of cover, lamb, water, mm-hmm. or, or prickly old bushes, or, you know, even tell us, sometimes they can tell us they're stuck up a tree, you know, if they're the right level. But if we, if we, if we take the game finding ability away from our dogs, you know, it's not going to do anybody any good. Right. You know, because you're not picking that wounded bird. And it's not just that. Let's say you go out there, you shoot a real high one, you just take the wing out of it, and this is what I think. Um, so, and I'm not getting at your trialing lads because I've seen them do some fantastic stuff. Right. That's a different game. But to my mind, when you over dominate a dog with force fetch or e collar training, you take away that natural instinct of the dog because you've over dominated it. Right. Only you over dominate that dog. So, so you dominate it so much. It gets in the back of a, a bit of woodland and it can't see you. So it thinks, holy hell, where is he? I'm going to be in trouble here. I better go back and find him. Right. Because last time I went out of sight, he shot me. I, and and he shot me, called me back, and that was because he couldn't see me. So if you can't see the dog and you shock him, what's it going to do? So if it's on a line or just about to pick a wounded bird and you shock it, it's not a bigger wounded bird, is it? Right. 
I mean, why would you? If anybody, another, uh, probably never take a wounded bird in his life again. Actually, uh, I mean, if if I'm going to get shot every time I touch a certain, every time I do my job, you shock me. No, I'm not coming back to work. No, you'll come back and you won't go out again. Right. And you're sitting in the duck blind, or you're sitting in the boat, or you're, or you're, you'll be on the upland, and you and, and you won't want to be sent for the bird. You won't want to go out. And you know, and this is what I mean. These guys back in those days, and 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 your and your Mike Lardy and who these top e collar trainers, they could train a dog without an e collar. I'm sure of it. But they're on a different game, so I'm not getting at them at all. And I think they get a lot of bad publicity because of this, because of the color. But I, I have seen them do some fantastic stuff at some of these game fairs, which right. I could never do. Right. Um, but you know, they're on a different game. They, they're going out trialing, and and you know, fair play to them for doing it. But I think what it does, if that dog is meant to be producing your next duck hunting dog or your dove dog, I think they're going. You're going down the wrong lines. Right. Right. That's my personal opinion. Well, and I, I, I totally agree with you too. And that's something that, um, you know, a lot of the times when I'm out training my own dog, you know, that's something that I try to make sure a lot of the times, I think it takes a lot of self, uh, self control and restraint to know when to handle your dog and when not to, I spend probably more of my time out training telling my own self not to uh to handle my dog you know and to really allow yeah. them to do the work yeah uh, and that's the way to do it i i do a lot with with tennis balls mm-hmm. when they're picking the dummies and stuff like that i smack them over a tennis racket i've got a launcher here i fire the tennis balls out and a tennis ball is a bit more like a bird yep. because i put a little bit of tape on it and what happens is so the ball hits the ground, sometimes it'll lay in the cover, sometimes it'll roll. Right. A bit like a bird. You can knock a bird down, sometimes it'll walk away, sometimes it'll stay there. But if you keep the dog guessing, so it's using its nose, the main thing is it should get to the mark. Right. Or at least mark it through the air and get to the point of what we call the fall. That's that's the idea of the dog. It shouldn't be too much of a hardship getting it to the fall. It's what it does once it gets there. You know, it depends on, you know, what sense about, but as long as a dog's got there and made a good effort and we've still lost that wounded bird, at least we've shown that bird respect to trying to pick it. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, <laughs> Robbie, you gave me an idea. So myself and my, uh, my wife are actually planning on getting into tennis. And I like the right. idea of taking a good old tennis racket out there and just whacking balls down the, down the field and sending my dog to go retrieve them. Well, that's great. <laughs> I, I put I put duct tape on mine, you see. Yeah. And I put leave a leave a little, little bit of a tail on it and smack in. It looks like a bird coming down. <laughs> and, and 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 you could put a bit of quail scent on it. You can put what you like on it. You know, anything to help it. Oh my gosh! I yeah, I'm I'm taking that idea from you. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying you gotta go out in your Adidas shorts and your. And your John McEnroe headband. I oh, look a bit <laughs> stupid, probably, but I mean, who knows? Everyone to their own with that, you know? right? <laughs> That's look. Hey, I'm here for it. I uh, I still want to do it, but <laughs> before I get to laughing at you, Robert, too long. So tell me about um, 
you know, how it was for you as a, as a kid. I, I really want to cover your whole history, man, because you're an important uh, figure to me. So how was it as a kid for you watching uh, your dad train dogs and, and all of those experiences? How was that? Sometimes it was painful. You know, when you're about five year old holding a dog, holding like two dogs on a lead, young pups. Yeah. And your dad whistles and they start putting in like a sledge along the floor. That, that <laughs> sometimes a little bit. That that could that could have gone two ways. I might not want to go right again. But you know, it, no, it, it was very very good. Now, you know, we we go out. You go out and train two or three, and you I'd go out there and throw the dummies out and, and stuff like that. That that was it is it, it, a great time, you know and. But you know the the bit where we I, so the shooting used to pick up on the gamekeeper would come and get me at probably seven thirty in the morning, mm-hmm. and so you go out and they your mum would give you a sandwich, and I'd be there as a stopper. But some on a frosty morning in England back then, I mean you could have been minus three, minus four, and you'd be sat there and. They may get to you at 12 o'clock. Wow. And by that time, I was frozen. I'd eaten a sandwich by 8 o'clock. <laughs> and, and, but it is a good time, you know. You, you would stay there, and, and this would all be part of my dad would be picking the birds with the dogs, and I'd be sat there with them. But on the Monday morning, the gamekeeper would bring me probably, I think it would probably have been 25 pence around, maybe 50 pence, and that was quite a bit of money there. Right, you know, and um, but no, it, it was good fun. You, you started, you know, you, I watched all these different dogs, and I watched a lot of different dogs when I went trialing, which you still see in the pedigrees today. And I saw a lot of them, you know, and 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 it was a very enjoyable time. And 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 it's obviously what made me go into it is is well, it's this, you know. Right. I was I, I was I've always been interested in rural stuff, you know, rural life. Okay, and, and that's what I'm with it, you know. So, I guess, would you have ever seen yourself becoming a judge? And and what was that process like to become a uh, a panel a judge? And matter of fact, if you don't mind explaining, what does that even mean? Well, what you do? So you get asked to be, you get asked to judge a trial as a mm-hmm. non-panel, and you got various stages. Now, nobody. Well, certainly, I didn't anyway. Nobody sets out to trial dogs to become a judge. If I had a choice, am I going to run or, or judge a trial? I'd always want to run. Right. Okay? Compete in it. But you've got to give a bit back because everybody feels like that. And so, anyway, so you get asked as a non-panel. And if they think you're good enough, you get good reports and they go into the kennel club and et cetera like that. And then you get asked to become a B-panel judge or you apply to be a B-panel judge, mm-hmm. and they look at it, they don't think you've had enough experience, or if they don't think you're good enough, you get thrown out, or you know, all sorts of different things. Right. And then you become a B, and as time goes on, again, now you've got your A-panel judges still writing reports on you. Um, they go into the kennel club, and one of the field cross societies say, hey, do you want me at... Would you, would you like us to put you up for a panel? And then it's, they sit a, a panel sits at the kennel club and they say, hey, you've been elected to go on the A panel or B panel, 
like that. And that's how, that's how you do it, really. And it's a matter of years. But nobody, I'm going to be honest with you, nobody sets out, well, I certainly didn't. I know a lot of people that don't. Nobody sets out trialing to become a judge. Right. That, it, that just comes across in a matter of course, you know. Um, and, you know, people judge you and give up their time to run. So you're just putting a bit back into it, into the sport. And, and you don't get paid for it. You just get expenses, you know? Right. Okay. But, but again, like I said, it is a privilege to be asked to judge a trial. I still take it as that. And um, I, I do thoroughly enjoy doing it. Right. Well, I mean, that, you know, for anybody in this industry, man, I think that's the ultimate goal, you know, is, is to be considered and regarded, you know, at that high of a level um, and to honor that particular position. You know, that's a huge responsibility. And, you know, that just really speaks to who you are as a trainer. You know, you're you're doing the best thing that you can for these dogs and making sure that, you know, those that want to be in the industry are are regulated. You know, and I think that's important, man. Yeah, it is. It is important. But like I said, I've, 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 there's, there's a lot. You know, these eight panel judges are all good. They don't get on the eight panel for nothing. There's a lot of very good non-panel judges right. as well as there are be. And and I think everybody plays their part. And I think the most the most untold um, heroes of the whole field trial thing is the field trial secretaries. They go through night and you know hell day and night right. over it. They have to get the grounds. They get the to get everything in order, you know, and, and a lot of them don't even trial a lot of these field trial secretaries. So they put it all in for their own, for, for us, you know, right. to, to do it. And it's, you know, the whole, the whole body's a very, very good, close, um, I was going to say close family, really. And it's probably wrong to say it like that, but it's pretty, pretty damn close community, you know, and, um, and I, and, and everybody tries to do well for everybody else. And the most important thing with the whole day, you've got to remember, first of all, it's a shoot day and then it's a trial. So you have got to remember it's a, it is a day shooting or two day shooting. Right. Now, it's the guns have got to enjoy, etc. Mm-hmm. you know. Well, you were explaining to me um, when we were talking before that, you know, the guns and what they're doing are totally different from the uh, – the dog handlers. What? So, what are the uh, the differences? Because the guns have a, a big role to play in it. Well, the guns. You know, they. If it's a shoot, you know, and, and every trial is a shoot day. That's what we are. First of all, it's a shoot a day shooting. Mm-hmm. So, the guns are now. For every one of those birds that are shot, for us to do our competition, they're paying between thirty. I'd say between thirty and forty pounds a bird to shoot each bird. Wow. So they're 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 dipping in their pocket for our field trial world. And also, you've got the gamekeeper. You know, he's he's you know the field trial club's best friend and and the shoot owner. But these guns, they're shooting the birds. I mean, they may be with us all day. If it's a driven shoot, sometimes they'll go and do one drive shoot, you know, 30 birds on the ground. We pick them. They may go on and do another drive without us. But we could not do any of this without gun, without the guns, without the host, without the gamekeeper. We could not do any of it at all. Wow. So we, we totally rely on the generosity of 
of the of the host, the guns, and the gamekeepers. Right, and, and I mean that is what we. I'm, I mean that the IGL this year is at Packington Estate, and it will be a very very good IGL the championships three days. Really? Now we 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 Rachel myself we used to pick up on the estate there. I mean that that. There's a guy called Matt Nesbitt. He's their keeper there. He knows. I mean, he's uh, put that many field trials on. He knows what goes on there. And he he will do his utmost for every field trial there is. And I reckon this could be, end up being one of the best championships for a long time. Oh, yeah. Now, when is that? What, do you have the date for that? I haven't got the date, but it'll be, I should think it'll be late November, early December. Okay, cool. Well, I want to... I can let you know that. I'm just going to let you know that. Okay. Yeah, I want to stay in tune for that, man, and and just kind of keep track of that because that's great. And the gamekeepers now, they stay on the property, correct? No, the gamekeepers look after the pheasants and look mm-hmm. after the the game there. Generally, you know, you've got a shoot owner. Uh-huh. And he works or they work for the owners of the estate. Gotcha. The gamekeeper, the game, but he's in charge. That gamekeeper's in charge on the day. Okay, cool. They're not keep you in order. Okay, cool. They're in a very polite way. Sometimes not quite so polite if they need to get it across a bit harder. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but they 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 know what's needed. Okay. And you know, and and, and you need that type of person. And you you, do? Like I said, they they will be up four thirty in the summer looking after their pheasants. They'll be going to bed out still out at eleven o'clock at night chasing predators so they put a lot into it and their you know their shoot and their season you know that that last season they've had you know it, it could be if they haven't had a good season it could be the last season there wow and they, get, they may have to move on so they've got a lot on to do to do all this for us yeah well i mean that's that's a generous position man i had always thought the gamekeepers were required to stay on the on the property but if they're not i mean that's still a, a load of responsibility and a huge commitment man so they got lots of responsibility yeah, yeah. lots of responsibility you wouldn't see the pressure i mean you, you just don't know until they just do it and you know take it in their stride they know what they're doing and they you know they say hey let's go this way we'll go around there or they'll say you know that they're saying Go, go careful over there, Robin. There's a, there's a road over there, or you know, we got a nasty fence. You know, they tell us everything, right. and they keep you in check, and they keep the dog safe as much as they can. You know, right. So let me ask you this, Robin. Um, I'm I'm totally American and very new to the hunt test and field trial world, and want to know, um, and I'm sure a lot of others do. What are some of the differences between that you've seen between uh, American field trials and British field trials? The difference in night and day. Yeah. Um, because, I get, like I just said to you, I don't mean to repeat it, our day, our field trials, is part of a shoot day. Right. So it, it's a hunt. Right. What you call over here. But that's what it is, is a hunt. And then we get asked to go and take part and do a competition around it. Right. Over here, you deliver the birds out in a crate, 25 birds in a crate or whatever you're going to do. They all get the same retrieve. They throw it out, throw it up in the air, shoot it. I mean, we'd be locked up if we did stuff like that. <laughs> in England. 
Somebody would give me my breakfast every morning. Um, <laughs> oh, man. And, and I'd have to shower people I don't really want to shower with, you know? It's, <laughs> they, they would. They'd lock you up. I mean, you can't. I mean, over here, you can throw pigeons up and retrieve them and shoot them. Right. Again, you can't, you can't do any such thing in England. I mean, yes, we use cold game. Yes, we go out and shoot rabbits and we shoot pigeons in the trees that are, you know, that are coming over the trees in the woodland or we shoot them out of a hide. But you can't, there's no way, we are not allowed by law to throw game up and shoot it. Man, that not, is... Not at all. I, hey. So what you do, mm-hmm. so what you do through the season, you, you through the close season, you shoot pigeons and rabbits and crows and you go on these shoots and pick up with your dogs to get your game find, get your game experience. Or you maybe had to go rabbit shooting with the farmers or speak to a keeper, hey, can I go and shoot some pigeons? That's how we do it. Or we, or we get them out of the freezer. And then the shooting season comes, and then you will pick thousands. You know, you can pick up thousands of birds during the shooting season over there with your dogs picking up. Right. Um, but, but there's no such thing as... Um, you know, you over here. You've got land you can all go and use public land. We have got no such thing as that. Wow! You can't just. You, you've got to ask permission. You better have permission, otherwise you'll be poaching. Again, somebody will give you breakfast. Um, but you, you know, that type of thing. There is a big difference. Now, I'm not saying. Don't get me wrong. I think, you know, if you've got 55 people entering a field trial over here, they all get a run. We can't do it like that because we're part of a shoot. So in a, in a two-day trial, you get 24 runners. Right. And that's it. But you can have 200 people enter that, and it's pulled out of a hat. Man, that is, I mean. I, well, it's done I, on like a, I love, a, hat. It's a draw system. Right. I, uh, I love that system. And like I said, I just think that is extremely responsible. Um, and, you know, to me, it's nothing like putting a dog on wild birds, man. Um, you know, the wild birds, I, I say it all the time. That's what teaches the dog. Um, you know, even in my own experiences, I'm trying to start to begin to move away from pen raised birds. You know, and and start putting them just in the woods and get them on wild birds because I, I just I think there's a lot of merit to that, man. Um, I think there, I think there is, but I think if that's the only way you can do it over here, your predators are very. You've got a lot more predators here, mm-hmm. so um, you know if it's legal over there, the predators you kill them. Right. You know, you can't go and kill stuff that's protected, obviously. But it's legal right. if it kills a pheasant, you kill it. But at the end of the day. You know, you can't kill everything, but, you know, you still get, we, what we do, we, I've got pheasants here at the moment, 50, 50 day old pheasants I had and 50 chucker, and I've reared them under a lamp, but over in the UK, we, most of our birds are out around July, August time, as soon as the harvest is off, out in the pens. Mm-hmm. Now, you will start shooting ducks and partridges on September the 1st and and you can start shooting pheasants October the 1st um, and grouse is a different thing there, 12th of August Right. so by that time those birds have been out and about you know you're feeding them to where you want them etc like that and you're walking them up and, and shooting them so yeah ours are primarily regarded as your what we 
as your state, they are a lot, you know, they are wild, or you call them pre-release if you do it with quail over here. Mm-hmm. So they're probably a bit, bit, bit like that. But believe you me, after about November the first, they're all wild yeah. by that time because they all know what a gun is <laughs> and they know what a car. They all know what a car door is as well. Right. <laughs> you know. So, uh, so that's that's and that's the difference. And I and I think. That's probably way, the, the way things have gone, which are a lot different here. I don't think it's so much. There's quite a bit of dog taint training. There's a lot of difference in the dog training mentality. Mm-hmm. But the first... Robin, can you hear me? Other than that, it's completely there we different. Go. Unless you go to the Dakotas. Yes. Unless, <laughs> unless you go to the Dakotas, you know? Say that last part one more time. You cut out. Say that last part one more time for me. Unless you go, unless it's, you know, unless you go to the Dakotas where they are wild. Okay. Yeah. You know, you know what I'm saying? But it is a completely different structure. The only thing which we are doing this same over here as over there, as we both fire, we all fire a gun at them. But other than that, it is completely different. Right. Right. Um, like I said, man, I I love it. I I think I probably spend more time, you know, watching and learning from British uh, methods than I do anything over here. And that's just something intuitively in me tells me that you know the British methods are the way to go. Um, and a lot of people may disagree. That's fine, whatever. But um, you know, I I just have a, a really huge respect for it because it seems like there's a huge emphasis again like you said on game finding um and i just i like the the severity of those trials i mean you know you talk about a dog being out on your uh, on your hunt you want a pleasurable experience you don't want a dog yipping and yapping everywhere you want them under control you want them quiet you know and and i i think that is uh important to have and that's been some th- some of the things that people say are the differences between a British dog and American dog, um, Labradors I'm talking about. So what, what do you think makes, what in your experience, what do you think a British dog has that's different than an American dog? It's got a natural off switch. And it's just got, it's just got a way to settle down. It doesn't have to be hunting all the time. You know, it doesn't have to be kenneled all the time. It can go, but it's it's a temperament. Yeah. But again, we're not firing our dogs out on a 400-yard blind, and if it turns around and goes in a slight dog leg, you're losing merit. You're not – That's we're not doing that. We're, we're sending stuff. You know, if the bird's shot and it's gone on 60 or 70 yards, yes, we'll send for it. Right. Um, will we send for it if we're going to disturb a lot of game? Now, sometimes that's a talking point with a keeper. He may say, hey, I've got a lot of birds up there, leave it. He may he may say, hey, leave that bird, please. Um, but if a dog's got a mark on it and it's pickable, we are going to send, whether it's a crippled bird over a fence, over a wall, into a wood, or into a, into a, uh, into a lake. We will send for it. Right. I, uh... and, and we've got that rule, you see, first dog down. So you shoot a... You know, you get a pheasant where it just takes a pellet out its out its wing, yeah. and it planes in say forty yards, fifty yards away, and it hits the ground. So bang down, number two, send your dog. Right. Get that dog straight to it as it hits the ground. 
if that dog doesn't find it, and even if we don't find it, and the other dogs behind it don't find it, that dog eliminates is at the best of the second opportunity. Wow. <laughs> so your best bet is just go ahead and make sure that bird is found. <laughs> it, shit, I'm telling you. Because <laughs> we, when, when you see that bird go like that, sometimes in a trial you want one of them if you're not doing very well or if, you, if there's people ahead of you with it. But the moment that bird comes down, I'm telling you, you've got to get your dog there quick. Wow. Because you don't want to be losing time on a cock pheasant or, or a pheasant that's run, run hard. Right. And it, and it does. That's, you know, and that's, that's what you want a game finder for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, otherwise you can be led under a hedgerow and you ain't going to find him, are you? Nope, you're certainly not. Um, and it, and yeah, it's important I mean, to be able to trust your dog, you know, when he's out there. You know, it's been been plenty of times I've been on a pheasant shoot with Ruger, and he's been out of my eyesight. And all I got is, you know, trust and faith that that dog is going to bring my game back, which he did. But had we been focusing on that, that would have been a problem. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, it, and we've all lost them. We've all picked ones we never expected to pick. But, you know, along the way, you you just got to trust your dog. And if his training is up to it, he's going to be all right. 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 Um, and I, and I, like I said, it is, it is a matter of trusting your dog. But also, there's no point saying, I get a lot of people saying, oh, my dog won't do that. Whatever it may be. My dog can't do that. And I'll say, and I'll say well, have you tried? Right. I'll say no. I'll say, well, how do you go do it? You know? And, it, and it, a lot of people will do take the easy route, just keep, you know, doing what they need to do with a dog. But again, all we want really with our dogs is a hunting man, don't we? Right. You sit there, you shoot it, it marks it, it picks it. That's all we want with a gun dog. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't make it more that's what the average man wants. Yeah, we some people want to handle them, some people don't. But if you march your game, picks your game, remembers it, you know, most of these most of these birds we shoot in a hide or a duck blind, most of those are memories because they hear a splash or a crash in the wood, unless you're going around to pick your buddy's duck around the corner. Right. But most of it is memory. Well, I mean, that's that right there is crucial, man. And and it's just you know, for my listeners and everything, I just want I'm glad you're on here because I, I always say, you know, I want a dog that'll hunt for me more than a dog that'll listen to me. If, if, if that makes any kind of sense. I, I know it probably, yeah, it does. you know, I, yeah, it does. I, I want a dog with a motor that's continually going forward, you know, and I want him to listen to me, of course. But it's more important to me because there's been a few times where I thought I knew where game fell. And my dog proved me wrong. We've all done that. Right. <laughs> and I think, I, I think the main thing was, you know, you've got to install patience in your dog, mm-hmm. but also you've got to make sure you've got enough patience yourself. Right. Right. You know, so it's trusting your dog. If you keep telling it to go to one area, it's not picking it. Mm-hmm. You know, and the dog keeps pulling to one side. It's telling you something with its nose. Its nose is bad, far better than our eyesight. Yep. A whole lot better. That's what we've got to remember, you know? Yep. Absolutely. So let me, let me ask you this. What? I, I, I hear a lot nowadays with, you know, guys bringing in English cockers and, you know, British uh, Labradors. What's the fa- What do you think the fascination is nowadays, you know, more than ever with, with British dogs? 
because it, it's I hope it's not a fad, but it seems like a lot of people are leaning towards British dogs. Do you know? Do, have you noticed that? Oh yeah, a lot. I mean, I don't think there's ever been a better time to be in British into with British gun dogs in general. Never been a better time. Yeah. And if you, but there's a lot of people say they're British, you know, mm-hmm. and and it's. And there's the British methods and British this, British that. I mean, I've seen some of this stuff on different channels recently, and it's not a British method. You'll never see a British dog sat on a four-state stable. You'll never see a British dog with a lead dangling around its neck while another dog's working, because they won't do that. I mean, they won't take them out and work it with another dog until they know it's sitting there and watch. Right. So there's a lot of things there which supposedly the British method there's a, quite a few people saying we have the best British bloodlines we have the best this we have the best that how do they know that they've never been there they've never set foot on a turf um, they may have been to a dummy I mean Robert Milner's over there now going to the game fair he's done a lot of research been a lot of championships right. uh, and Lily and you know they've got you know he's done it for years Right. There's a lot of people saying they've got this, they've got that. They wouldn't be able to tell you whether it's a field trial champion or not, but they'll make out they've seen it, they've done this with it, they've done that with it. But you, you can't... I think sometimes it is being mis- misrepresented, the, the British side of things to people. Because if you're still going to get the British dogs in and train the American method, stay with American. Right. Right. That's, I mean, that's so true. There's quite a bit, because I know it's fetching more money or whatever, there's quite a bit of BS written around, we do this, we do that. You'll never hear a guy in England saying, it's a cheat in in Great Britain, it's cheating the bank. You'll never hear it called a training program. You'll never hear it called, um, because every dog gets trained over there, you're training a different dog. You don't put it through a set program. You may go along the same, try and go along the same route of training a dog. Every dog's different. Yeah, for and, sure. And when you hear someone talking about a training program, that means it's going through force fetch, e collar, whatever. Like that. When you hear any of them saying that, that's what's happening to it. Right. And, and to my mind, I think along the way, you know, and the reason the British dog, this is this is the whole reason the British dog is becoming very popular, is because it's temperament. Yep. It, it quite happily lie down there, but as soon as you take your gun out or take it out hunting, it's up and ready. Mm-hmm. I sold a dog to a guy in the Dakotas probably six or seven years ago. Anyway, so he takes his dog out. Yeah, I ship it over. And he, take, he takes it out. He phones me up that evening. He said, there's something wrong with my dog, Rob. I said, what's well, the matter? He said, well, he said, I've been out. We've shot these birds. It's walked lovely at heel. He said, it's marked. It's retrieved. It's picked runners. It's done this, done that. I said, well, what's the matter with it? He said, well, it's sat down underneath my, my wife's feet and it's not moving. He's, I think it's all wrong with it. Right. I said, there's nothing wrong with it. That's what he do. He said, well, my bloody American lab didn't do it. You know, he didn't have an off switch. He had to put it out in the kennel. It's why he it. 
for that one. It sat in the house and went underneath his wife's feet after a day's hunting. And they do do that, and that's why it is there. Right. Because of it. Well, I mean, that... And it doesn't matter if it's a cocker or a springer. doesn't matter what it is. I do believe your pointers are better over here because we haven't got... And I think the pointer guys in England are going to say that to me are going to probably limit me. But I do believe they're better because our guys haven't got the the terrain to run them on so hard, you know? Right. And um, and, and I've noticed that, man. Um and, and I really You've got a completely different style of pointing to here because you have over there we have a flat tail. Yep. Here you've got to have an uppy tail, you know? Yep. Or whatever they call it, sticking up in the air tail. But <laughs> we train we just train we just train one of our pointers now. Wow. English pointer completely without the collar. Really? Yep, completely. I I mean, I I believe you and I have faith in that, man. So what what is that process like? Difficult. Killed a couple of chickens to start off with. <laughs> Decided to want to take one of the ducks up and edit and eat it in the bed. But we did it as similar as a Labrador. We we taught it to go for a walk with us twice a day. It went out. It decided it, you know, would do that. You know, find a point. To start off with, I had a job to get to the point, I'll be honest with you. Um, but once it killed Rachel's chickens, a couple of them, it it wasn't a very happy ending for the chicken, I know, but it started to point after that. Right. Um, but, and, he, and he'd swim, and he delivered the hand. Wow. I mean, and that's what's crazy is so many people associate pointers without being able, you know, with a lack of swimming ability and stuff. And I, I just think that's total BS, man. Like, this. I did it with the fitness. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm going to be honest with you. I've seen some cracking pointers here, Mike. And yes, they they've had them on the e collar, but I will say this: most of them only use the vibrate mm-hmm. on them. And I mean, I'm not getting at the point of boys at all. I mean, I understand that a bit. How are you going to stop? You're going to ruin days hunting for for the client or your boss. I can't understand it. Um, with me. It didn't matter if he cleared off. He'd always come back, you know. Mm-hmm. And if I was taking a group of people out on a hunt and your pointer clears off, your boss ain't going to be too happy with you. Right. That's the only thing I will say. And I think, yeah, they, I, I, I mean, just different sort of people. So I don't know. But I will say this. We, we did actually train ours without the e-collar, without anything. Right. I mean, I'm I I have full faith, man, that if you spend enough time, you know, it's it's really about the time you spend with your dog. Um, you know, thousands of years ago, and 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 I'm sure many of the British guys, you yourself, can agree, we've been training. You know, folks have been training dogs for millennia. You know, so and yeah. and, and there were no e collars back then. And 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 right. you have to you have to know, you know what makes that dog tick and everything else like that. And again, it's no shade on anybody that uses a collar. I made the personal choice to not use it um, because I, I, I realized where I made a mistake. I started with the uh, wild rose method for my lab and didn't use any collar in the beginning. And then later on getting around, you know, too many people that had a collar, I thought it would benefit it. And it didn't, it made my dog more nervous than anything. And I took the collar off and he's, you know, just like a, a newborn. Well, I'm a great believer. Don't get me wrong. Because I'm a British trainer. 
you've got to tell a dog off. Let's get in the real world. Right. Every now and again, that dog needs 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 a bollocking. That's what we call it in England. Right. <laughs> needs a cussing. And it's whether you go out to it and give it a shake or whether you can get to it and stop the retrieve. But sometimes if they keep doing the same thing, wrong and wrong, and they're just deliberately pushing your, your buttons. Yeah, they, they do need a shake. They need to do something or you need to do, do something. But I know if somebody slapped an e-car in my hand and said, use an e-car, I wouldn't know what to do with it. Yeah. You know, so I would make more problems for myself than ever whatever I could do with putting it right by, you know, just coming here and giving them a bit of a shake. Yeah. I know that method. Yeah. So, um, and so you, you do, you do have to, you do sometimes have to reprimand your dog and you do, but some, but most of the time I like to try and think I'm going to do this method. I think sometimes you can go out to train your dog and you think, and this, this is, a, this is the, Kind it. This is trying to be kind to your dog, but bloody stupid. You go out there and think, oh, look, I've got 60 minutes. I've got an hour today to train this dog. And that dog's going to get every second of that hour. Mm-hmm. So it does everything right in the first 10 minutes, quarter of an hour. But because you've got an hour, you want to do more and more. Right. And then in the end, it ends up putting doing something wrong and you put it away by trying to overtrain it and do too much too soon. Right. You know, you do better to go out with some thought in your mind, say you're going to steady the dog today, I'm going to teach it to um, take tasks on the water, you know, hang on the water, stop on the water, whatever you want to do. But then we go out and we do the next step. I've done it. You go out and you think, oh, I'm going to do one more of this, and then you regret it because the dog does it wrong and you've got to stay there and the dog gets confused, et cetera, et cetera. And, and once you get that dog confused, that's the hardest part about training. Yep. When the confusion hits and when the retrieving stops, that's when you have a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, when the natural, I want to go get it comes out, doesn't, don't, don't click in anymore. That's when you get a problem. Right. And see, that's why you got to, you know, it's important. Um, you got to keep up. I, I like to, to make my dog, a, you know, a fiend and addicted, you know, to the the uh, the retrieve and all things like that. So a lot of times I keep it short, you know, and, and, and I what we want to do. Yeah, definitely. You know, and, and I just I don't like ending on a bad note. You know, I hear a lot of trainers like, oh, don't let your dog end on a bad note because it's bad for them. But, you know, just being realistic, Robin, like I hell me ending the day on a bad note. I feel like a poor trainer. Yeah. Well, you know, if I start to get something sticky turn up, you know, during the training, I'll, I'll call a day on that. Mm-hmm. But what I will do is I'll throw a memory, something it knows what it could do. Yep. A memory. Do that. And send it on its retrieve. Give you know, get the retrieve, put it back in a kennel. Right. So, and then at the end of every training day with my dogs, at the end of every day, I give them a biscuit, nah. just a bone biscuit. That's the last thing they remember me to giving them. Yep. Dogs train, I train on memory. They remember the last thing I gave them is a treat. Wow. I mean, that's that's love and that's everything, man. And 
they're so they're you know they're creatures of association and that's a that's a smart thing for you know any of my listeners like yo whatever it is that makes your dog ticks and a lot of the, uh, makes your dog tick um and a lot of the time is food just give them a lasting you know memory and and, and a lasting impression of who you are because i don't like to say that you know my dog is you know doing this for me like i'm not i'm not a slave driver man i'm a team player you know yeah. and every day is a brand new day every day is is something new to learn and as long as you have that dog's best interest man they're going to keep working for you so you know i i think that's just important and that makes me that actually drives me to my next question with you uh specifically about tibia gun dogs you know, talk about your kennel and, and how you determine your breeding selections. I mean, you know a lot about a quality dog. Okay. I'm losing you, I think. Can you hear me now? Hello? Yeah, I can. Okay. Sorry. Well, what we, so we're, we're primarily Labradors, but we've, we've got Springers and we've got Cockers, which we're, the Cockers haven't had a litter yet, but we're, we're hoping to breed from those. Um, we've got two Springers here which we're going to breed from. We're not just um, Labradors, but, you know, that's what we're known for. Right. So we we, we do we do go around and we do seminars from time to time at different places. Again, we do live game training, where we went on this year. We went down to um, Georgia, Florida borders at Wilcox Farm, and we did a um, training seminar. We were training with Chucker, and on the, on the Sunday, we, we shot quail. Nice. And that was a great time. We had about, you know, probably 10, 12, 12 people there doing that. And so we do go around every so often and do a training seminar a weekend. And that's some, everybody bring your, bring your dog, pay the fee. And it's, you know, and we give hands-on training with every dog. And by that, the other dogs are watching birds getting shot and watching other dogs work, and we help you get your dog better. And, and we, we do pride ourselves in that. And, we, and, you know, I'd say nearly, I'd say 100% of the time, every dog's got better we've been with. Yeah. And, uh, and I, you know, I thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoy doing it. You meet a lot of people, and actually I get to drink free beer if they bring it, you know, <laughs> and which, which is quite nice. Yes. So we, right. we breed, you know, we, we breed, we train, we do seminars, we get finished dogs in from the UK for clients, and we don't do it where they come to us. The dogs, we get them flown straight to their, their home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, like I said, we, we hope we've got a female actually being bred at the moment. Uh, to a dog called Bailey that won the IGL, not this year, the year before. And he's being bred to our field trial winner, hopefully today or tomorrow. Man. By AI. So, so it's some uh, big things coming for Tibia Gun Dogs. Oh, we've we got a lot of stuff going on, you know. And what I want to do eventually down the line is try and put something together where, you know, I get a place in the UK for four or five weeks and take clients' dogs back there to actually shoot, take take them shooting on rabbits and pigeons and things like that, you know? Oh, my That's God. what I'd like to do and let people ship their dog over to us or come over with it and, and do that. 
that's what we hope to do, and we've got someone we're speaking to very, very closely on it at the moment about doing that. Yeah, man, and that and that'll be a good thing for you know people to come and have a go at and see the difference and and have a go. It won't necessarily be pheasants if it's in the summer, because you know, but it it will it'll be rabbits and pigeons, crows and stuff like that. You know, right. Well, I mean, I I think any client that really, really cares about, um, you know, their dog, I really think that they would appreciate that. And again, if you're going to, you know, put in the British standard, you got to be in Britain. I mean, (laughs) it's nice for you to go and see it. It's nice for people to go and see it. Um, And like I said, people, you you can Google these you know, British trials and British shoots to see what's going on, the pigeon shooting and stuff like that. Right. But you can also Google our name, Tibia Gun Dogs and Robin Robin Watson, Gun Dog Trainer. You can Google that. I tell, tell you more about me than I can ever tell you. Right. You know. Well, um, your, your website, website loaded, man. Um, you know, and, and Robin Watson and Tibia Gun Dogs, you know, you've got a whole team there. Your wife helps you out, correct? She does it all. <laughs> you know, she, my wife does I mean, what we do here, so in the UK, this is the main, the big difference with a lot of this stuff. See, in the UK, if somebody said dog to be trained by us, by Robin Watson or Rachel, it needs to be trained by us. Right. Over here, the big difference is you do see students working at kennels. And I'm not saying it's good or bad, but I'll tell you now, in the UK, if they saw anybody else and me training that dog, if they paid me to do it, there'd be trouble. <laughs> like you said, you'll have somebody uh, <laughs> giving you your own breakfast. Yeah, exactly. You wouldn't probably get that, but you wouldn't get a good reputation over it. Right. Um, you know, because, you know, one guy, is like, you, know, you know, let's say, I don't, I'm not a big kennel, just say any kennel. So I'll find out, hey, how's my dog doing? Oh, let me just speak to the student that's training it. Oh, actually, he's not come in today. He's run off with his girlfriend, you know. Well, right. Can you tell me about my dog? Well, no, not really. Right. Um, he's been training it. He's not really told me what he's doing with it. But who's, who's answerable to that then? You know, that's the trouble there. Right. And, you know, we we do do it all ourselves. We are small. We've only got 20 channels here. Uh, but we do. We've always got birds. We've always got pigeons. We've always got pheasants in the freezer and ducks in the freezer. Um, you know, there's always quail about. We've got all that. Right. Uh, so... And I, I don't mean to shoot them, to flush them. You flush them, they watch away, they come back to the pen, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've always got them, and we've always, always got a freezer full of uh, cold game. I mean, and that's that's important, man, to to have uh, to have game all the time. And you're currently uh, raising some some baby pheasants right now, right? We are. We've got. Well, I can't believe the luck we've had. Actually, we bought fifty fifty day olds. And they are now four, how old are they, Rach? Four and a half weeks old. And we've still got 50. Wow. And they're outside now. Mm. We got 50, 50 chucker. We've got 
48 of those left. Wow. At the same time. That's, I mean, that's, oh. that is, that is prime bird exposure, man. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, we've, we've got, either we got lucky or we've done it right. Yeah. I'd like to think we've done it right because we, we reared guinea fowl and we've done a few duck and we've only lost one guinea fowl and a couple of ducks. So we, I think we're going in the right direction. I, look, Robin, you, you've been doing it right for a long time, man. And, uh, you know, I just I just like to salute with, you know, salute to that. But also, um, you know, I just I have so many questions because and maybe I just need to get my butt out there to Britain to see how it works. But, you know, there's so much to the culture of it, you know, and, you know, and there, there's so many great dogs. And, and one of my other questions was, um, you know, because there's various types of Labradors, but what I was most confused about, and you know a lot about, is what about Irish Labs? So there's not a lot of detail on that. Can you tell me about that? Look, the Irish, the Irish Labradors, we we over there we call them British Labs mm-hmm. Labradors. Okay, so that means your Ireland, your Welsh, your Scots, and well, and and the English. I mean, we're one big group, so. You get a lot of good dogs from out of Ireland. A lot of them have got the British, you know, UK from Scotland. There's a lot of good dogs. You know, they're all intermingled. So most pedigrees will have a good Irish dogs and good Scottish dogs and some good English dogs. So to my, to that end, you know, you never, you know, it's all one. It's a, it definitely is. Most of these pedigrees are British. Pedigrees. Okay. So you've got, you know a very similar type of thing. Right. At the moment, we have champion, champion puppies on the ground. The the, the male won the Irish nationals, and the mother was a champion at two and a half years old. And we got puppies on the ground here from that now. They're out. They are, this guy spent 50,000 on two dogs. Yeah. Man. And, and he doesn't quite know what he's got. If they were mine, I'd be selling them at five thousand. He's selling them for three thousand. There's only two males left at the moment. For anyone wanting to build a, a kennel nut line, or these would be the ones to go with. Right. Um, these, you know, you're starting out as a brick trainer or whatever. These puppies are here. They would be the same price in England. Champion, champion bred, or you know, mm-hmm. great. Britain then, um, but these will be special. I am sure of it. Man, well, look when you when you uh, I, wait. Did you post the photos of those puppies on Tibia Gun Dogs Facebook? Yeah, they're on there. They're on there. Yeah, I I saw those. It was very recent. You posted. Yeah, those are beautiful dogs, man. Yeah, we got the Instagram page running as well. Uh, yeah. As I said, th- these these are good. Good, good pups. And I said uh, that female, she's very, very young. Man. Very, very young to be a champion. Man. I mean, two years and, old. Uh, yeah, that's, 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 that, that female is still a puppy. Yeah, she's, I think she's about two and a half now, isn't she, Rachel? I would say she's two and a half, but she is a special, special dog. Man. Um, she, you know, she, she came here, she got out of the car. 
for the guy who I'm looking after the puppies here. He got out of the car, didn't know me from anywhere. Walked straight down the lane there, walking straight, glued to my heel. What? And I mean, I mean glued. Didn't even know me. But she had eight pups in the car. Man. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they were, she never had them in the car. You know, she didn't give birth to them in the car. They were eight days right. old. When he, this guy brought them down to me. But, right. I mean, she's a special female. Man, I mean, look, I, I, I might need to take out a mortgage payment to get that, get one of those pups from you. <laughs> well, you know, I'd like to say I'd take less, but I can take more if you want. But I can't <laughs> take any less. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, 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 what what you have going on, Robin, is amazing, and just the price points that's that's nothing to the quality of the dog. What you're getting is artwork, and I'm an artist myself. Um, what you're doing out there is literally the definition of artful, you know. Well, hopefully, I'll be back doing the artwork, doing the blacksmithing one day again. That'd be nice to be doing yeah, that. Yeah, man. So, tell me about that. How did you get into blacksmithing? Well, I went to college. I was training to be an engineer. I hated every minute of it. <laughs> Came back, I was, I thought, I was about 16 and a half. Hated every minute of it. Saw in the paper. Um, blacksmith's mate wanted. That means just cutting metal. So I thought, I'll try for that. I need a part-time job through the, you know, the, the college break. Mm-hmm. So I put in Brit and uh, went and saw him. He offered me the job. As the, as the weeks went by, it was about a six-week holiday. As the weeks went by, he said, do you fancy being an apprentice? Blacksmith? I said, yeah, I'd love to. He said, but, well, he said, there's a, a thing that you run in England and it's, you take your city in guilds, but there's five of you will be sponsored by the government. Co-sire it was Council of Small Industries, rural areas. Five of you can get in this throughout the country. Well, all I'd been doing is cutting metal and drilling holes. So he said, if you get in that, he said, they'll pay your wages and I'll take you on as an apprentice. I said, okay, well, anyway, we applied and rubbish like that. And lo and behold, I get an interview. So go out there and I just been watching what he did, really. And I spoke to him, and I had my interview, and there's quite a few other people interviewed. And uh, all I heard one morning was, oh, shit, come from the office, just like that. Yeah. He said, you've only gone and got in that college. I said, he said, how did you do it? He said, you've never hit a bit of hot metal in anger yet. <laughs> I said, oh, no. He said, but we start, he starts, I think, September 26th or something like that. We've got about two two or three weeks to show you how to do a bit of hot hot metal work. And um, anyway, they taught me, and I, I managed to get in. I got me sitting guilds. That's how we got into it. Um, so all takes part and parcel of it all, you know? Man. Yeah. But, I, but I haven't, you know, I haven't got a forge here at the moment, but, you know, I'd love to set it up again. Yeah. Yeah. I used to do my dogs and, you know, do the iron work and, Sitting there, nice, nice, nice can of beer, yeah, at night, and 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 do it like that, you know. But 
You'll have to come down one day. Come and meet us and come and have a little dogs and stuff. Oh, I, you know, I was going to ask you. I just didn't want to too much impose. But, uh, yeah, you're you're literally my neighbor. I have to get out there to you. You're welcome to. Well, I, you're welcome to. Whatever you want. Man, you know, I appreciate it. And you're also, um, you know, a, a good buddy of Lily's. obviously, like you said earlier. You know, I just got done going out to visit her. I will say this. I will just say this. If it wasn't for Robert Milner Senior, this whole British gun dog, the Wild Rose, the whatever, this would not be happening. Yeah. Really? For anybody. Because he saw this. He told me before, he used to train with the E-Collar when he used to do the American circuit. And he's got the right to talk about it, really, Mm -hmm. because he's done both. I haven't. Mm -hmm. So he he said, he thought to himself, one day he said, there's got to be a better way to train dogs. And that's when he got in touch with my friend, that Morty Turner Cook. He went to the championships with him. They became good friends. And they started importing the British dog, which slowly picked up. And now, instead of just, you know, being a small snowball, now it's a boulder. And and I and I believe, I fully believe it's, you know, if it hadn't been for Robert, we'd have probably all been going in the same way. Yeah. Because um, yeah. don't forget, he owned Wild Rose at one point. Man. You know, he owned the Wild Rose kennels. Yeah. You know, and he started up the Tuck Hill. So if it wasn't for him, I don't believe so much the British dog will be here yet at the moment in this state is what it's at. Right. Right. I mean, and that's, um, that again is, is just a part of history, man. And the fact that, you know... It's like Lily, isn't it? Lily yeah. and young Robert, they were born with dogs nearly in their ears, weren't they? Literally. I mean, out their ears. When I spoke you know? to Lily, she was like, this is all I know. This is literally all I know. <laughs> so... Yeah. Well, that's, you know... I mean, it's it's no wonder why that the Milner family, like, it's no wonder why they're so good at what they do. I mean, they're in dogs from the time that they're little. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. You know, I mean, and I I have the ultimate respect for them. And, you know, and and again, the Wild Rose and even Mike Stewart and all of those guys, like, you know, I had uh, Guy Billups on the podcast and he's from Wild Rose, Texas. And, I mean, everybody, all of those guys are just really genuinely good guys. But also, um, you, you can't beat that training technique, man. You cannot. I have the book myself. And, you know, I'm, I almost kick myself in my own ass for deviating from it for a short period of time. Because it's gold. I, don't, I mean, I don't click a train. And... I probably don't train the same manner as Robert like that. I don't click or anything like that. I don't sleep train so much. But mine is done around the retrieve. So yeah. if it does have a wrong, you don't get the retrieve. If it yeah. does it right, it gets a retrieve. You know that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And and so mine's not... Me and Robert are arguing over this to the cows come home. He said, you're a negative trainer. I said, no, I'm not. I said, it's not negative. What's negative? I get taking the... Is it negative not giving it the treat still? That's still negative. Right. If you don't give it a treat. So, but it's how you end up. You know, it's how, does the dog understand at the end of it? 
Right. And at the end of the day, after we've got that dog sitting there, like we just said, bird shot, sits there, picks it, comes back home. What more do we want it to do? Right, right. Now, for the average hunter, I'm talking. Well, yeah, and 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 again, you know, my podcast. I I hope that I have you know all kinds of great, crazy pro trainers and this and that. But you know, a large part of my my listener base is the average hunter, and I myself am the average hunter. You know, I work you know five days a week, and I go out. I'm a teacher, so I have a little bit more break time than the average person, but. You know, I, I really want this thing to work for the common man, you know, and and even for anybody that is is aspiring to be, you know, your next pro level field trialer. You know, Robin, again, you may not want to, you know, take the credit, but I'll say it for you. You literally are gundog history. I'm, I'm speaking myself with it. So, you know, I I, I think it's I've been involved with the uh, history I've been involved and I don't get me wrong dogs the yesteryear and the dad prior my dad's time that was all done for us we just had to keep it going and we still have to keep it going to this day right as a game finding experience so it's been done for generations and people have decided to breed this to that and that to that and hopefully they I mean we don't just, we take a long time, and I mean, it can be eight, ten months picking our next breed and which male we want to use to our female. Now, if we look at a, if I've got a female here, and I don't want to keep a pup, I want to breed it. Do I don't want to sell, I don't want a pup from it. So we only ever breed from if we want to keep a dog ourselves. Right. And I mean, and that's proper breeding. So, you know, you said something two seconds ago that uh, was very important. And I like to reiterate this on my podcast. But what do you what do you think the next generation of of upland hunters and field trialers are going to look like? What do you think that looks like? I don't think that changed much. I think if we keep true to our our hunting and we keep true to what we want things for, we should the UK along the way we may get change a change of of rules or we get change of different bits and pieces but we shouldn't really get too much change because like I said to you, at the end of the day bird gets up we shoot at it we kill it sometimes we miss it sometimes um, that's what we got to remember the dog's got to be coming back we never want to. We never want to go back on. We never want to take a downturn on temperament. You know, there's no such thing for a nasty. There's no such need for a nasty dog, fighters and things like that. We don't need those in our lives. So we've got to keep ourselves true. And I think sometimes people are, you know, swayed by the pound or the dollar to breed from something sometimes which is a nasty bugger, and we don't need those. You know, or something we don't need in our line. Right. Right. I think it's a matter of staying true and honest to your breeding and what you need to achieve. Right. I mean, and it's it's just about respecting the breed. I mean, you know, if you really love, you know, what it is and if you love the dogs, you're not going to 
you know, breed off of a bad dog. I mean, we all love, you know, I like I love my dog Ruger now, right? But if it's yeah. a smart, you know, breeding opportunity, and it, and if that dog has something that's not going to contribute to the next uh, the next line, just say no. Yeah, I think what you got. I think the, the main thing is we just got to stay true to what we want a dog for, mm-hmm. and primarily the first question anybody should ask when they're all, all going to see is what is the dog like around people first of all right and, and other dogs and you know there's the way we bring ours up you know they're always intermingling with people that come here um but you know we just got to stay true to that temperament and if you've got a sound temperament you've got a sound start right and you know, you get a good start or you've got a good engine in a in a truck, it keeps going. Right. If you've got a floor in it to begin with, you know, you're always at the workshop. Right. And, you know, you can put things right so many times in a dog's life, but you can't keep you can never put temperament right. Never. Absolutely. Now, when do you I guess if I were to say, Okay, you know, I'm interested in breeding this dog when would you start looking at that? Maybe I, I would, I thought to look around maybe age two, but when would you do that? Well, I, I start, look, you know, I, I've always got my eye open for a, a potential stud dog or, 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 a, or a new puppy into our gene pool. I've always got my eye open, but I keep my eye open in the UK, you know, and that's how I do it. Yeah. Um, you know, I've got a lot of friends out there which trial. I've got still, you know, I still go back myself and judge. So I keep an eye on what I like. And and everybody likes slightly different things in a dog. Some people like nice big square heads. Some people like a dog with a lot of a lot of pace and a lot of drive. You know, and it's that's down to your own preference, really. Right. But I I've always got my eye open for what's going on. Always, you know. Right, and um, I never stop. And uh, I mean, if you're looking for a female, you know, you look at the lines in your pedigree, what you've got in there, and you try and get a little bit of the same, not too much of it, because you, if you keep a little bit of the same in there, you you know what you're so much of what you're dealing with already in your pedigree. Right. Just remember it. There's nothing else. At eight weeks old, there's nothing else we can be in control of. Mm-hmm. There's nothing, you know, it's after that. But if you can help benefit yourself by choosing the right lines to breathe from and, and what's good to you, or if you've had two or three different dogs and you think, hey, that one was a pain in the backside to train, right. or that one needed a little bit more energy, or that one was a bit cover shy, I want to see something the dog goes in the cover a bit better or, you know, all those sorts of different things, and then you can start breeding that into your dog to improve it. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, like I said, I, I always look to improve, or maybe maybe I want to bring a bit of yellow in, you know? Um, so there's all those sorts of things I look at. Yeah. Uh, and, I, that, and that's how I've always done it. Well, I, I I think that's a, uh, a a very tried and true method. And hey, look, you talk about bringing some yellows. I'm I'm a yellow lab biased uh, person. 
<laughs> so, oh, there you go. You see, you know, and it's, um, that's what you you know, you you that's the only thing you can be in control of: your hips, your eyes, your elbows, your CNMs, and your PRA, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing you can be in control of. Yeah. What you know, we bring the we bring the semen in from the UK before we get a puppy. It costs us three thousand. Wow, three thousand dollars before we get a puppy. Yeah, but I'm staying true to what I believe in, and that is the British gun dog. Yes, sir. By doing that, and and three thousand all first generation. Well, and I mean, if you think about it, three thousand dollars, you're going to spend more than three thousand dollars over the course of that puppy's lifetime. Well, of course you are. Yeah, yeah if you do it right, you are definitely. Yep. 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 You know, this and, and what we're doing here, man, I, I hate to sound like a, you know, I'm, I'm listening to a financial advisor or anything, but I, I really do think that our dogs are investments. They're investments, of uh, their personal investments. And, you know, if you're going to spend money field trialing and hunt testing, I mean, th- they're their tools and investments that, as far as what you're doing. And that's no disrespect to the dog. But, oh yeah, you know, why not do I mean, it right? Yeah, try try your hardest. I mean, you just sometimes you do get everybody. I mean, you got to remember every every trainer. It doesn't matter doesn't matter who's a trainer. Every trainer has a washout. Yeah. And if a trainer tells you ain't got in, he doesn't have a washout. You need to stay clear because okay. there ain't a trainer in the world that don't have washouts. The only thing I will say with that, generally, if they're not trained on the e collar. I can home them. I don't know what happens with a burnout one that's been overburnt on the e-collar. Mm-hmm. Because you have something real skitty on you. Well, I I think you I think that's important to you know not to burn that dog out. Um, but hey, let let me ask you because you know I want to be respectful of your time and stuff. Can you? And and this has been the hype, you know, because of the whole, you know, royal wedding and things like that. Um, what? Tell me a little bit about the uh, Queen Elizabeth's dogs. Can you can you elaborate a bit about that? She, I mean, she had a very. I mean, it's a bit before my time, really. But okay. my, my dad was very good friends with Bill Meldrum, who's a, the handler that one with Sandra. We made a chat. Sandra and Hugo up. Sandringham Sydney. I believe there was one called Sandringham Magpie. Now, I'm not 100% sure on that, whether it was his or somebody else owned it at the time. But she had some very, very good dogs. She's still, I'm not sure if she still handles dogs now. Mm -hmm. She's just recently had a Cocker Spaniel made into a champion. Nice. Called Diamond, isn't it, Rachel? Maladale Diamond, run by Ian Openshaw. That's just recently, last year, I believe, or the year before, made into a champion. I mean, she's a very, very capable dog handler. Nice. And um, I I believe she picks up. She used to pick up. I do know that. A friend of mine used to tell me. So, you know, she she's a, you know, they're, they're a very, very generous family to the dog trial. And circuit. Again, you know, quite often have a field trial of the championships at Sandwich. Sandringham and Windsor, Windsor Great Park. Um, they put on a lot of trials there. So it's, you know, as trialers, we all appreciate what that type of thing from them. And they're, and they're a great family. 
you know, they do, do a lot for the shooting community. Right. Nice. I mean, I, I really appreciate that, man. And I, you know, I've got a couple, I've, I've really been following the Royal family for honestly, for a, a few years now, um, because it's something that really in, intrigues me and everything with, uh, you know, Meghan Markle and everything that's been going on with, you know, over here as, as far as with the Royal wedding. Um, and that kind of came up and then you see instances of it in the Netflix crown show, you know, just little things like that. And I've always wondered like, man, you know, what is that like, you know, having a Royal family, a part of the, the, uh, shooting dog culture. And, and I appreciate yeah, you getting that. My cousin, my cousin was a keeper there at one point. It's angry. Mm. So, he was there, and he, you know, and we went and shot hairs up there on a couple of occasions, didn't we, Rachel? Yeah. And um, on on the Sandroom Estate, and it, I mean, it's a very very nice um, thing. It's weird actually because I said to Rachel, "This is this is weird." This lady come driving down the road. I said, Rachel, I can't recognize that woman driving that hand drove. And Rachel said, you should, it's the queen. <laughs> and I didn't realize who it was. I really, I mean, when they're, you know, when we're all dressed up in green and shooting gear, you don't know who it is. Right. And I said, I, said, oh, I felt such a fool, you know. And uh, it's the way Rachel said, you should, you idiot, it's our queen. And now I'm like, oh, there you go. You know, wow, so, uh, that that is funny, Robert. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so yeah. let 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 me poke at you a little bit as you know as we conclude the podcast. Let me poke at you a little bit. What happened to England in the World Cup? What happened? I'm a soccer fan. What happened? Well, we just like that. Let these other countries do quite well sometimes, and <laughs> you know they. Croatia, they tried hard. I mean, we could have beat them, but, you know, it's just one of those things. We we like to be gentlemen over there still, so we were just letting them go through. Oh, so you were like, you were being gentlemen. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we just, we just let them have a go at it. No, they, I think they did very well, to be honest. They did. They um, did. I think, personally, myself, if they'd have put the ball in the back of their net, they should have beat Croatia, but they didn't. Let me, let me tell you something. You know, Can I? And maybe you'll agree. When that yeah. ball gets in range of the eighteen yard box, why are we not firing shots? Well, we all want to shout out hit it. We always do. I think I shouted out at the TV a few times. Yeah. I don't know. It's like everything else, isn't it? You know, I bet they all wish we'd have done that and wish we'd have done different things and you know, you can't turn the clock back, can you? That's the trouble. But right. I don't know why. And I think, you know, I, I think they did. To be fair, I think they did very well. I, don't, I didn't expect them to get as far as they did. You uh, know, you but, know, I, I, um, I'm going to say this on air, and hopefully, it's enough to to bring him here. Harry Kane, he upset. Yeah. I'm sorry, he upset me. He did. Um, why? I, I just expected a lot more ball play from him, man. Um, I expected him to smack, have a smack. It. He went quite quiet, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Uh, on that, on that game, whether they were tired, I don't know what it was. But the, I, we, one or two, I saw on different comments that saying they wish you know Kane was either off his game that day or he was carrying an injury. I don't know. Yeah, but. Um, and Croatians, they did well. They they I did. Mean, they, I mean, 
I, I expect, you know, they want another, a different hole to go out of the final in the end, I should imagine, creep out the ground. Yeah. And they got it stuck to them, didn't they? Yeah, they sure uh, did. Now, you know who I just saw last weekend that I have, since I was a kid, I've always wanted to see this play. He's one of your boys. I saw uh, Wayne Rooney over here. I saw him last weekend. Oh, did you really? Yes, sir. Where? He was, you know, I'm from Atlanta. So, you know, our soccer team, Atlanta United, you know, we, we do yep. all right. <laughs> we we do pretty damn right. well. So he, um, yep. you know, he's playing over here for D.C. United, and we played them last week, and I went to the game. Huh. How did he do? He was every bit of Wayne Rooney that we know. He definitely, uh, like, I, I don't know if he pushed the dude down or drug him down, but that's a rough boy. That's a that's a big rough dude, but he played. Oh, he's well. a it, 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 You know, I I wish that he had a had a little bit more ball play because I've seen Wayne Rooney. Uh, you know, he's a hard charger. You know, he is. He his brother was a boxer, you know, and he could have been a boxer. Yeah, he yeah, I heard, I heard. I so mean, that may be what they're still bringing into the game a bit of boxing. You know, I don't mind it. I, I like a good rough soccer game. I mean, I again, I grew up playing, and you know, hey, fouls happen. I'll just say it like that. <laughs> I think they. I think to be honest with them, pros like to come over from the UK or wherever in the end to come over here to play. I think they've lost their pace. That's what happens. They've lost their pace. Oh, absolutely. And when they lose their when they lose their pace, the late tackles come in or mm-hmm. they get frustrated, I think, because they can't do it what they used to do, you know? And I'm, right. I'm sure that's what it is. Oh, and, uh, he was not he was not the Wayne Rooney that I knew at Manchester United. That was not... How long has he been playing there, then? Um, he's got had to have been here a couple of years. He hadn't been here that long. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, he's playing for D.C. United. Huh. So, I mean, he's he's been over. He hadn't been over here that long because I'd heard about it a long time ago. But um, he hadn't been over here that long. And, you know, but you, you had David Beckham come over here. But David Beckham came over here and he was smart about it. Um, you know, he monopolized off that entire situation. But it's a bit special Beckham. Mike. Oh, yeah. That's he, you know, but again, when we talk about history, David Beckham did so much for soccer history. I mean, he is in the, the soccer hall of fame for me. Yeah. So he's a bit special Beckham. Right. Right. I think, I think they dropped it. I think they dropped him too, too soon from the England team personally. Yeah, they did. But again, consider the fact that Number one, I'm sure when he came over here, I'm sure it was probably a, a, a really good financial opportunity. But also, um, England, I mean, you guys are producing machines, man. You'll get another David Beckham in a heartbeat. We don't have that over here. No. Like, a, it's not your number one game, is it? It's not not your I'm a cricketer myself, you see. Yeah. I I, I've never played cricket before. I used to play a lot. I used to I, I used to be quite a quick bowler. Yeah. I, I used to like dishing the bruises out with the ball, but I don't know if I could still do it now. 
Man, well, I'm going to have to, you know, learn a little bit more about cricket because I've had friends that played, you know, my friends from other uh, countries and things like that, but I've, I've never personally played. It seems like it's pretty fun, though. It's hell of a game. It's a good game. Yeah. And as long as we're beating the Australians, it's all right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you know, Robin, I – um. I just really appreciate you getting on here, man, and just giving me, you know, what I probably assume is just a slice of all the information that you know and things like that. It's a pleasure. Man, is there anything you want to leave with or conclude or, you know, anything you need? No, if you want to do this again later on, another day, you're more than welcome and you're welcome to come visit us. Hey, look, and I'm coming up there now. Okay. And anybody wants to, you know, reach out to us on that Facebook or on the website and feel free to yep and that that's the uh instagram profile at uh tibia gun dogs and also the facebook profile you can just search it at uh tibia gun dogs and uh yeah and tibia tibia gundogs.com we've got so as well so yep. i mean you can reach out to us and you know you're more than willing we're more than willing to help anybody cool at all Hey, Mr. Well, you told me not to say Mr. Wazir. Robin, thank nope. you. Thank yep. you. Thank you, man. It's a pleasure. All right. Um, okay. So, guys, that is the end of the podcast with uh, Robin Watson. Uh, stay tuned and, you know, go follow Tibia Gun Dogs. Please go support. And, you know, let's let's take a look at some of these training techniques and methods and things and really study British, you know, British culture and British methods and things like that, guys. Um, And that's all. That's a wrap. And that's the end of the Gundog Notebook.